If you do these four things, live with gratitude, empathy, accountability, and effective communication and inspiration. If you are a student of your calendar, you do it now. And then most importantly, ask. You will make the right decisions. And that decision will lead to the ultimate decision of your life, which is to be happy. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook. I'm going to go real quickly because we only have 20 minutes and I'm about lessons. I believe that we're here to learn lessons and the lessons will keep on coming until we learn them. It usually results if you're not learning them in pain. And we all question, why does the same thing keep happening? Because you haven't learned the lesson yet. And that's truly my belief. So I think decision making is the key to learning lessons by making the corrective decision, right? It's an evolution, not a revolution when it comes to that. So I think there's four things involved in making decisions. The first one's ignored a lot, and I'll go through my journey real quick to talk about values. Those people, and I'm blessed to be around a lot of billionaires now uh, that never existed 20 years ago, the one thing they have in common is they make decisions so quickly. And some of you may make quick decisions or remarkably look at those and say, how does he or she make such a quick decision? It's because they know their values. Once you know your values, you can assess through the balance of those values and make a very quick decision based upon who you are. So how did I learn my values and what are those? Uh, I grew up with uh, a single mom, six kids. My dad left when I was five and my mom, I uh, was an incredible mom. My siblings are all, excuse my language, parents wet dreams. They went to Harvard, Penn, Columbia, summa cum laude, speak sick languages. Uh, and my mom forced us to do that, not in the normal way. She was, though, a uh, third degree black belt in the martial arts. You wouldn't recognize her, yes, of, of Jewish guilt. Um, <laughs> and I think that was the main driving factor, besides the fact she woke us all up at five o'clock, believed in the morning, believed that the fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school. Tremendous amount, of, <laughs> tremendous amount of pressure. My saying growing up was doctor, lawyer, or failure. And those were the values that were put upon me and worked for my siblings. Unfortunately, I wanted to be a professional football player. And I put all my intention and attention to create the coincidence that I got a scholarship to play football in college. Some of you looking at me wonder how the hell did that happen? I will tell you, I can run scared faster than anyone can angry. <laughs> and I had five brothers, four brothers and a sister that I talk a lot of trash in a two-bedroom apartment. I learned, I'm hard to catch, let's just put it that way. Uh, but I learned real quickly, uh, my first play in college football my freshman year, I'm the bullet on the kickoff team. I fly down, tackle the running back, and next thing I know, I'm flying backwards onto my back and he stepped on me. And that's when I decided, doctor, lawyer, or failure. I went and thought I'd be a doctor, and the first lesson that I learned, and this might be the most valuable, so if you are eating, try to remember this lesson. I went to my oldest brother, who was a doctor, and he was in the hospital when I met him at UCLA, and I said, man, I hate hospitals. He goes, Dave, you're pre-med. You hate hospitals? I go, I want to be a sports doctor. I want to be in a training room, a field. What are you talking about? I won't be in a hospital. He told me this great piece of advice. He said, David, be more interested than interesting. More interested than interesting. And if you have teenagers, I repeat this all the time. The second teenage advice is simply show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Uh, those two things are great parenting advice. Moving forward, I decided to be a lawyer, doctor, lawyer, or failure. Studied really hard. Now, one thing I did different than most in my decision making where to go to law school was I reverse engineered through my values. And I had one value growing up. I wanted to be rich. That was it. 
And the reason I wanted to be rich was because I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car. Because the only time I wasn't happy was when something financially stressful occurred and I catch her crying because the car broke down and I lived this wonderful life with these great siblings and all I could think about was my mom works two jobs, she's a teacher, comes home, packs our dinner in a paper bag, puts us in a country squire station wagon, fills up turnstiles at the 7-Eleven with greeting cards. I, I wanna do something for her. And that's why I wanted to. So I reverse engineered going to law school because I found out that oil and gas litigators make the most money. They might ruin the environment, but they make the most money. Um, and so I went to Tulane Law School because they had the top maritime program, worked really hard. And then my second lesson in life happened because lo and behold, out of law school, I got a job offer as an oil and gas litigator and a job offer to sell legal research online in the early 90s. So I went to my trusted advisor, my mom, and asked her, what should I do? Both are high paying jobs. My goal is to buy you a house and a car. What should I do? And she said, for sure, you need to be a real lawyer. This internet thing, it's a fad. You know? <laughs> Lesson number two, as a parent or recipient, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. A huge lesson in making a decision because so many times we want to please other people. In other words, we're putting faith in what somebody else wants for us instead of what we want for ourselves. Take advice like a handful of sand, be grateful for it, but let it fall through your hands if it's not aligned with your values. And so since I decided I could make more money selling legal research online because I didn't think the internet was a fad, I went to work for West Publishing in Minnesota and nine months out of law school in the early 90s, I was a millionaire. I was a millionaire, I bought my mom a house and a car, and now it had confirmed that money buys happiness, that money is perfect, and I was driven by money. I went to the Silicon Valley after we were purchased for 3.4 billion by Thomson Reuters in 95, and that, that was a lot of money in 95. Uh, and we then went to Silicon Valley, I raised even more money, became the CEO of Samsung's first smartphone at 32, and then I really understood my values because I had met Lee Steinberg, I had retired, I was not living my life in the right way, I didn't listen to the rules, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, and uh, hanging out with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, uh, working for Lee Steinberg, surrounded by all types of opportunities to do things that probably are less uh, productive than they should be, I ended up losing everything. I lost over $100 million uh, and take full accountability, but how did I learn these lessons of values and how did I become a better decision maker and what did I learn? Uh, when I came home and my wife told me at 5.30 in the morning after partying with little John that I wasn't a rock star, and of course I responded, I may not be, but I feel like one. Um, she then informed me that she was probably gonna leave me and she wasn't happy. And this is two years before I lost everything. She told me this and she told me, after I woke up in the morning and got over my anger, my insecurity, all the ego-based consciousness decisions that I was making, I literally thought to myself, there's no way I'm ruining my life over money, over this stuff. I'm, she told me, go back, take stock in who you were and what you want to become. And I wrote down these four values that I started living by, which has helped me create value and make everything back. The first was really simple. I'd lost my gratitude. I was extremely grateful for every single thing in my life. I was the most, I was a toptimist when it came to it. And I had forgotten that my perspective is reality. 
and that I had forgotten how much I had. My mom used to make us say before we went to bed what we were grateful for. And when we woke up, if we didn't come down with gratitude, she sent us back up to the room that we all shared and said, go ahead, list out and change your attitude and come back down. That changed my life and it was gonna change my life again. Gratitude makes your past unbelievable, your present better, and your future brighter. If you're not teaching gratitude within the corporate context of what you're doing, you are missing the boat internally and externally of how successful your business can be with grateful people. Two, forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most powerful thing because forgiveness brings peace. And there's only one person to forgive. I was lucky because I knew I had to forgive myself. (laughs) I had a lot to forgive myself for. But... Forgiveness and teaching forgiveness within the corporate environment is essential in understanding forgiveness when you're making your decisions. The reason forgiveness is so important is because we want to make our business decisions, especially in a truth consciousness, not in an ego-based consciousness. We want to be abundant about our decisions. We want to make sure that they're not emotionally charged with the need to be superior, inferior, separate, frustrated, anxious, all these different Emotion or ego-based emotions in consciousness will create a void, a shortage, and an obstacle. It's basically voting for what you don't want. I believe faith is like voting. The more faith you put into something, the more votes you're going to give to it, and soon it will be elected into your life. People, places, things, doesn't matter. The third thing, which was difficult, was the value of accountability. So I changed my perspective from blame, shame, and justification, which usually people who think they're in control do, to completely accountable saying, what did I do to attract this into my life and what am I supposed to learn from it? Everything became a lesson. I stopped making mistakes, but even more importantly, those around me stopped making mistakes. It's so much nicer with the combination of gratitude, forgiveness, and accountability when something doesn't go the way that is planned because it is as planned and it allows you to learn from it and teach other people from it as well. So these values are very important to me when I'm making a decision because I can run down them very quickly and see how they're aligned with my personal values, experiential values, giving values, and receiving values. Then the final thing that I realized was I'm an inspired person, and inspiration is something I thought that I created instead of understanding that I was perturbing or distracting or interfering with the greatest source of inspiration there is. And I was getting in my own way that I was creating an interference between that which inspired me and most importantly, I couldn't inspire other people anymore. And so when I changed the perspective that everything was for me, instead to everything was through me, I was able to create a, a, a less of an interference to an unbelievable light. I started seeing things even more clearly. I started understanding this formula that I created. Number one, what I pay attention to or vote for or put faith into and then put intention in, action, creates a coincidence, a mathematical occurrence, a coinciding in our lives that people call karma, fate, or coincidence. It's a mathematical occurrence that is from the attention that we give or focus that we give to something and the intention that we give it, the votes that we give it, the faith. And there's three types of things that go into those votes. Number one, law of Goya. Law of Goya states, get off your ass. Right? I don't believe in pure spirituality of manifestation, sit around high on your mom's couch, sick and broke, and dream about owning a Ferrari. Go out, work hard, work smart, and work long. Now, working long, everyone knows what working smart and hard is. What's working long? Working long is something that I see most people don't do. It's the one percenters of the one percenters. What does that mean? 
on average, and we have so many successful people in here, it takes about 17 and a half years to be an overnight success. <laughs> I'm living proof. 17 and a half years to be an overnight success. Why? Because at 10 years, most people are only 25% of the way there. And they start putting faith or voting for what other people think. Oh, you know, time to give up on that dream. Time to give up on what you're working on. Time to give up. You should go work at the law firm. You should go do this. You need to get married and have grandkids so I can be happy. And right. And it goes on and on. And so 99% of the people after 10 years or when they get to 25% quit of that 1%, five years later, half amount of time, they're 50% of the way there. And this is the most tragic and saddest thing, not just for an individual, but for our country, because we're wasting so much potential. We're wasting so much within our own companies when we see things that need to be changed or evolved or lessons to be learned, we quit on them. When those people now, the 1% of the 1% carry on, they're only two and a half years away from being 100% of the way there. Even sadder, they're a year and three quarters from being 200%, seven A's from being 400, seven six to be 800, and so on and so on. I didn't go to Harvard, but you guys can figure it out. That's sad, right? When you conceive that Jeff Bezos could have come up to us 25 years ago, said, hey, I'm starting a bookstore in my garage. I'm going to be the richest man on earth and make over $100 billion. I'm an optimist. I would have straightjacketed him, right? Like, are you kidding me? Well, that's reality. Why? Because he materialized his imagination with attention, intention, and coincidence. We don't do enough of that. I do a lot of work with SAP and their innovation labs. And literally, we have people reading science fiction because our technology, for the first time, has exceeded our imaginations. It does things that we can't even imagine. And we need to foster imagination within our corporations to rethink things because we are moving at such a speed and the data that we have is so extraordinary that tomorrow in the Wall Street Journal, there'll be more data in the Wall Street Journal than existed in the 1950s worldwide. But yet we're using institutions that were built in the 50s, our education, judicial, financial, et cetera. And so we need to use these values to make the decisions to rethink how we're doing things. And we need to be bold about it to do that, understanding our values. The next thing that I take about decision-making, the critical part is anti-intuitive, uh, uh, is asking. People ask me, what do you think the biggest problem on earth is? I said, we don't ask. We don't ask. And there's only two questions that I think you need to ask in your life if you truly want to be abundant and fulfilled and have everything that you want. Number one, how can I be of service? What does that mean? That means you're productive and accessible. How can you be of value? What value are you bringing? How can I be of service? What can I do for you or others? What do I possess that I can give through me that's gonna increase or improve the situation? But more importantly, do you know anyone that can help me? I started this by talking about radical humility. I never ask for help. I see the biggest detriment to my business is people are afraid to ask even me for help. We need to ask for help. When we were young, most of us, some of you still young, sorry. <laughs> uh, there was, you know, I asked for help from someone, hey, I'm looking for a job, I'm graduating law school. The person that was closest to me, a relative, a friend, would go to their country club or to the poker game or to the men's club or church or temple or wherever they go, and they'd ask for help for you. Today, we're missing a huge opportunity because on average, every single person from about eight years old up has about a thousand people in their network minimum. 
but yet we're not asking. It doesn't matter in person, on the phone, via email or media, radio, print, TV, social media. It doesn't matter. You should be asking, do you know anyone that can help me after you've provided value or an offer to provide value? Create a void and then fill it by asking for help. We can leverage so much from so many people and it's extraordinary. Think about it, if you just ask one person a day, from today until next time I see you, that's 31,000 people extra in your network. And you never know who the gatekeepers are or who the power sponsors are. You never know whose aunt's uncle you know, walks the dog for so-and-so and would love to be able to ask them for you and give you that touch of favor, that one catalytic event in your life that makes an extraordinary difference. Why? Because you're using your focus, your attention, with intention by asking for help to create a coincidence that you want, to fill a void that you want. One of the other things that I learned is to be present. Now, I was a seriously corporate, Sigma, black belt, lawyer, academic, money-driven a-hole, and If anyone talked to me about spirituality, meditation, being present, I would run the other way or just push my wife and say, hey, talk to them. They're talking your woo-woo stuff. Go for it. (laughs) Now I'm the most woo-woo person I know. I'll give out my book so you can see that. Uh, (laughs) But truly, being present, I put into a more corporate format. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Do it now. If you want to know what being present is, that means taking action now. Do it now. So I have one question when any activities occur in my life and I don't believe in work, I believe in activity I get paid for and activity I don't get paid for, right? When I started looking at work, I'm like, I don't understand it because I'd pay $2 million to play second base for the Padres, but yet they pay someone $2 million to play second base for the Padres and I promise they'd still come in the same place they came in this year, (laughs) which is last. It's not work, it's activity. But we have to ask ourselves from the activity that we see, can I do it now? And if not, it needs to be reposited into a do it now folder. A calendar, a folder, somewhere, a note, something that says I need to do it now, a place where I can prioritize by importance. I think Roosevelt came up with this, not urgency. If something's important, we prioritize by that. If something's urgent, delegate it if it's not important. We make that mistake with time all the time, but it will keep you present when you're consistently asking yourself, can I do it now? The other great thing that happens is you save a ton of time. If you do things now, it takes a minimum of half the time, a minimum, and statistically and exponentially more successful in doing so because you have no chance of forgetting it. Which, by the way, we forget everything. That's the funny thing about my life mission of learning lessons is the saddest part is, number one, we're going to forget every lesson we ever learned, period. Just remember that when you're learning your lessons. We are going to forget every lesson we've ever learned, but the power of lessons is we have the power to remember those lessons at any time, even ones we haven't even learned. Think about it. It's a really powerful thing when you realize that your body, your cellular structure has a memory of a flea, meaning it only remembers today. Your subconscious takes enjoyment of the consistent, persistent uh, pursuit of your potential of what you want, that attention plus intention for that coincidence, which creates the 40,000 of the same data points or thoughts in your brain, creates neural pathways, efficiencies, but it takes the same, the body's so stupid, it takes a minimum of 21 days of doing the exact same thing every day. So if you don't meditate, and I really, really hope you will try, because if I can do it, anyone can, meditate two minutes a day, it's worth more than two hours in a, in a, in a Saturday. 
same with golf, just practice every day for a shorter amount of time. You'll get better. So consistency, habit building, those are the votes that you're putting in for what you want and you need to vote every day for that. How do we organize all this? The last thing that I've learned is be a student of your calendar. People ask me what's the best piece of advice. It incorporates everything that I have. If you are a student of your calendar, that doesn't mean look at your calendar. That means study your calendar. Study your calendar with a lens of productivity, how much value you're providing, and accessibility, meaning how accessible am I to others, and how am I accessing what I want, how efficiently, effectively, with what statistical success. If you're not studying your calendar, you cannot harness the power of attention and focus in order to effectuate the intention that everyone has, which is mostly good, to create the coincidences that we want. You need to study your calendar, at least in the morning and before the next day. You have to study it. It'll be amazing how many things come out. You know, for me, I started realizing that any phone call I had over five minutes, most of them were visiting. Any meeting I had over 20 minutes, I was visiting. So I created a 520 rule, right? Almost every meeting I have, I've managed and branded myself. You got five minutes, let's get it done. Now, yes, there's exceptions. And in being a student in my calendar, I literally schedule time to visit, right? If that's my intention, then I have time to visit. But I'm not wasting time because I'm a student in my calendar. I look what I'm doing in person, on the phone, via email and media, all in my calendar, all the time, figuring out how best to be productive and accessible because I know productivity and accessibility will accelerate and grow everything that I want. I'll manifest or coincidence everything that I want. Being a student account, if you can't control time, use this quick trip, uh, trick and then I'll answer a couple questions. People ask me, how do you keep meetings to five minutes? It's taken years of practice. But the way I started is the way you should start. If you're not starting most of your business conversations with I have a hard stop at this time, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? Because now you have people focused on getting stuff done. And so many of us have fallen into conversations about visiting, which feel really good, right? I'm about quantitative value, making money, not hugs, right? Hugs I get at home, I love them, but I'm here about making money. Let, let's go ahead and give it a hard stop. So make that a habit of yours. If you do these four things, live with gratitude, empathy, accountability, and effective communication and inspiration. If you are a student of your calendar, you do it now, and then most importantly, ask. You will make the right decisions, and that decision will lead to the ultimate decision of your life, which is to be happy, right? In the end, I think that's the problem with the US right now, is we have a happiness problem 15, literally, Americans on average say that they're happy 15 days a year. That's a huge problem. And you start thinking about what is, from suicide rates to depression, anxiety, drug use, it's real simple. We've forgotten how to be happy and to make those decisions. So we are the corporate leaders. We're the ones changing the world. We will save the world, but we have to do it under the guise of these values and be as productive and as helpful and be of service to everyone. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much.